there. And one of my friends, uh, I'll, I won't say her name. Anyway, one of my friends uh, there in the congregation, she was sitting about where, like, Bill and Sandy, second row right up front here. And I noticed that, like, during my message, she kept kind of, And then afterwards, she came up to me, and she was trying to be complimentary. And what she said is, Steve, your voice is just so soothing. <laughs> so if you guys are already not awake, I'm in big trouble here. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of rattle your chain just a little bit or something. But no, it's good, uh, it's good to be here. I'm, uh, I am the location pastor. The reason we say that is because Jubilee Church is actually uh, one church with multiple locations. And so uh, we we're glad that you came here today uh, in this location, especially uh, those of you who are visiting with us. That means you took time out of your schedule coming to a, an unknown place with unknown people. You're the stranger here, and, and that you can feel that way. And, and we just want you to feel like you're part of the family. Uh, so please just relax. Enjoy yourself uh, today. Uh, Carissa read through a passage there in, uh, in 1 Timothy. We're going to be kind of speaking from that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, some leadership meetings, and, and this guy was talking about uh, dreams and, and uh, you know, how you know, we, like to, we like to dream about things, and you, know, you, you need to write your, your dream uh, on a napkin. And um, I kind of took, you know, took that to heart a little bit. Finally, this last week, uh, I sat down, and I took a napkin, and I thought, well, I'll write some things out that I think you know, I need to be dreaming about or whatever. And, uh, and, and what I did was I folded it up and put it in my pocket, and, and now I can't find it. I, <laughs> Guys like Bill Hybels and Dave Ferguson may be able to jot their dreams or schemes on a napkin. Uh, if I do that, it's just going to end up in the trash, and so uh, I don't do that very well. Now, the thing about dreaming is um, we're not talking about you know, your nighttime dreams while you're asleep. We, we're actually talking about your daytime dreams, the things that really get you excited. And, and actually, talking about this topic, you may think, oh, he, you know, he's a preacher. He's used to talking about dreams, and he lives kind of this dreamlike life. Actually... I'm not a big dreamer. I mean, actually, the, 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 so the whole topic of, of kind of uh, thinking about big dreams and big ideas, I mean, actually, it intimidates me just a little bit. I'm just not that kind of guy. I mean, I grew up in Missouri. I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, and, you know, it's the show me state, and my, my motto is more like, you know, you have to prove it to me, show me kind of stuff, not, not I can dream it up, I can consider it, I can come up with it. But... I realize that there are some things that actually we, we, we just, when we talk about dreaming about things, we talk about having big vision or big ideas about things. I mean, they're the things that, just to kind of help you with this, what do I mean? Is It's the things that when you're, when you're talking with someone, even if you're not a very talkative person, you suddenly get very chatty. Okay, so someone brings up a topic, and it's like right along the lines of where you are. So I've got a friend, um, and he's, a, he's actually a pilot, and uh, he does it on the side. It's just kind of a hobby for him. But he's not very talkative most of the time, but if you get him talking about flying airplanes, suddenly you'll be sitting there for hours listening to him talk about airplanes, right? Because he's got a dream. I mean, I remember we knew each other in college, and he told me one time, I, I was, I'm one of these guys, I lay down in bed, I go to sleep. He, he lays down in bed, and basically he, start, he said, man, what do you think about before you go to sleep? I said, I don't know. I just go to sleep. <laughs> he said, I dream about my future. I was like, oh, that, that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. <laughs> and he said, you know, I dream about flying someday. I dream about what, you know, and I was like, well, great, fantastic. Uh, I just do what's in front of me. And so... Things that get us excited if we're not very excitable. I mean, I, you know, I know some of you, you're not just really excitable persons, you know, but suddenly, you know, if you get into a topic, a discussion that you're in love with, it's suddenly it's like, boom, it just, it comes alive to you. 
I mean, these kind of dreams are the things that cause you to work late into the night. They're the things that cause you to get up early in the morning. They're the things that even cause you to skip meals, which I do not agree with at all. But that's the kind of thing that, uh, that we do. We feel energized when we get the thought of doing something or being a, a part of something that's actually uh, bigger than ourselves, right? We do. We get jazzed up about stuff like that. And we're all probably captivated by dreamers to some degree, We've been influenced by people who are dreamers to some degree. I mean, this last week, it was uh, October 31st. It was Reformers Day. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Uh, being in a Catholic community, you may not have realized it was Reformers Day. Uh, you thought it was Halloween, right? All right? Okay, well, it's not. It's Reformers Day. Uh, you guys should have known that. Come on, wake up. Um, no, in, in, in the 1500s, this guy, Martin Luther, he started off this revolution uh, called the Reformation, uh, because he took a dream that was that the, the, the things that were bad in, in the Catholic Church at that time, he, he really wanted to change that. He, he wanted to see the Catholic Church be the church of God's dreams. And so he nailed on the, uh, this German town, Wittenberg, on the church door there, he nailed the 95 thesis. It was this, these 95 things against what the church was doing at that time. And and it started off, it kicked off a revolution. He had a dream for seeing the church being all that God intended for her to be. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech, the I Dream, I Have a Dream speech, 1963 of August of that year. He stood in the sweltering heat of Washington, D.C., and he gave this amazing speech. I listened to parts of it the other day just to kind of refresh my memory, and it's an amazing speech. The reason he gave it was because he had a vision. He had a dream for something about our country that should be different than the way that it was. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, these are a couple of dreamers. You don't actually put them in the same sentence. Sorry, all you techies out there. Uh, you know, you Mac guys versus PC guys. You don't really get that too often. But they dreamed about every human being on the planet having a PC or a, a computer at their fingertips. And now... Most of you have like smartphones that have more computing power than the first computers ever dreamed about having, right? These guys were dreamers. They've transformed the world, really, through, through their dream. It's kind of an amazing thing. They lived for something that was bigger than themselves, and they also they drew other people up into that dream. I mean, most of you, if, if you're under 40 years of age at least, you probably have aspirations and dreams of having a smartphone, you know, if you don't already have one. I mean, or a smarter phone, or a better phone, or one that does more stuff, or the new wristwatch phone like Dick Tracy used to have. Everybody over 50 says, oh yeah, I remember that, you know. These kind of dreams, they change the world, that they change the way that we think about things. And these are the kind of dreams that also they change the way that we behave and, and the things that we do and even kind of why we do them. I mean, it's just big influencers like that. And that kind of dreaming, what those guys do, is, is a bit intimidating for me. I don't always see myself in that way, being able to change the whole world around me. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're a dreamer. I don't know. Some of you guys actually are you know, dreamers. You have vision for what you want to see in the future that's going to really change not just your life or not just your family, but lots of people. Uh, most of us, maybe we don't have that so much, or maybe we once did, but we've lost it over time. And um, the reason we have dreams, though, is actually because there are, there's a dream in the heart of God. It, and I don't know if you ever think about God this way before. I mean, obviously, God doesn't sleep, so he's not having a nightmare, you know. Uh, you might think that about the human race sometimes, but he's not. He's not having a nightmare. He's having a dream. He's, he's not having a sleep dream. He's having a very awake dream, something that he longs for. He works hard for, something that he really, really longs for 
is in the heart of God. And we see it in these verses here where it says that he wants all people, another translation says he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is it that's God's big dream? What is it that he really longs for above everything else? It's that every human being on the planet from the beginning to the end is part of his family again. He wants his family back. That's God's big dream. He wants his family back with him. Now, you have to start then to think, well, what are the, God's family is lost? Well, yeah. A few years ago, um, Sarah, our, our daughter, she's 14, and she was playing softball, and, and she had a, a friend uh, whose, whose mom and uh, dad were kind of coaching the team, and they would often bring her home from softball practice. And, um, and so she called uh, Sarah did from, from the coach's phone, and she left a message on my phone because I didn't hear the ring or whatever. I didn't answer it. So I get the message. I listen to like the first few syllables that she utters thinking, oh, because she says, hey, Dad, uh, uh, coach is going to take me. And I just I thought home. And so click, I shut the phone. And so we start waiting around, and that's starting to prepare dinner. I'm doing some chores. And, and it's like suddenly it's like she's like, where's Sarah? And I was like, ah, she coach was going to bring her home. Probably stopped by Sonic to get a slushie. I mean, they always do that, right? I mean, so then we wait a little longer. She's getting supper. It's about on the table. She goes, well, they must have done more than just stop and get a slushie. Maybe they got something to eat. I said, yeah, they probably got something to eat too. So we went longer. And she's like, have you heard from her? I said, well, yeah, she left a message on the phone. They're supposed to come. So she gets my phone and listens to the message. And it's just like, um, did you listen to this? <laughs> no, I guess not. What does it say? She goes, well, they were going to drop her off at the park. Oh, I jump. I mean, I'm like panicked. Just, I, mean, I felt the blood drain out of my head and into my heart, and I'm just like racing. So I run out to the van, crank it over, get out the drive. I'm driving 70 miles an hour down this 45-mile-an-hour county road. I mean, I'm trying to get there huge because I'm just pan- I mean, the uh, imagination, the things that are going through my mind are, you know, someone kidnapped her, someone's abusing her, someone's, you know, hurting her, and so I'm just like, Fear has just gripped my heart. And so I zip around, I get there, I turn the corner, I look up, and all these adults are out playing, a, 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 having a softball practice. And there's Sarah playing with her friend. The actual message was that she was going to be at the park, her friends were going to be at that park with her. I didn't, we didn't catch all of it, but in my mind, I thought she's lost. And I'm thinking of all the things I'm going to do to the person who took her. I mean, I'm just... I'm not going to be a very nice, you guys think I'm not, I'm not a nice person, I guarantee you, especially when you hurt my kids. And so those thoughts were going through my head. Now, I'm an imperfect dad. I mean, my kids gave me a card at Father's Day. I won an award uh, for, um, um, what's it, Selective Hearing. Yeah, the Selective Hearing Award. It says right on the trophy. I mean, there's this thing in my, in my household, it's like anytime they're telling me something, it's like, what, did you tell dad? Well, yeah, it was one of these bread, blah, blah. Well, bread, blah, well, if you give me a list of more than like two things, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it. Okay, so bread and then whatever the rest of the things were on the list, I don't remember them. I'll remember the first, I might remember the last, or I might remember the last and not anything. I, I won't remember the whole list. So I'm imperfect, I'm flawed father, but my heart was for what I thought was my lost child. Now, God's heart is for his lost children. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. I think it'll be on the screen here. It says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all wandered away. 
Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on who? On Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Our wanderings from God. We don't think about that often, but we have. We've, the whole human race wandered away from God. If you read Genesis chapter 1 through 3, you start realizing God made a beautiful creation, but humanity wandered away from God. Not accidentally, God didn't just like misplace us, but what happened was we actually walked away from God. We walked out of the relationship. We chose to try to be our own God instead of to follow the one true God. And we see that in the midst of that, that God actually begins this pursuit of humanity. Even though we're running from Him, we're walking away, we're turning our backs on Him, He is still pursuing. And so you see this promise in the midst of it where it's like God says to the woman, from your seed there will be one who will crush the serpent's head. There will be one who will deliver, who will bring you back. Later on in, in, in God, we see a promise that He gives to Abraham in Genesis 13, God ratifies this covenant. He, he makes it happen. He, it's a strange kind of a story, actually, if you read through it, because it's this thing about sacrifice. And, and, and in those times, what they would do is like to make a covenant, the greater person in the covenant, maybe like a king, and then another person who wants to be protected or under that king's protection, the, the lesser would swear to the, uh, the greater an oath. And then what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal, cut it in half, and the person, the lesser, would like walk through the pieces of the animal and quote or say back to him, here's, here's the things I promise for you to do. Now, in this story, what happens is this. Abraham kills the animal, cuts it in half. I mean, this is gross, and I'm sorry. It's just, you got to read the Bible. It's rated R sometimes. You just got to get used to it, all right? But he cuts the animal in half, and basically it says about him, he fell asleep. He got drowsy. It's like it wore him out to slaughter this animal. So he sits down, and he's kind of in this dreamlike state, and he sees like God actually walking through the pieces of the animal, reciting to him the oaths of the covenant. I find that fascinating. Instead of the lesser swearing allegiance to the greater, the greater is swearing allegiance. I will fulfill all the promises that I've made to you. You will be a blessing to the entire earth. Isn't that great? God moves on Abraham's behalf to make sure that the covenant that God is making is going to be fulfilled. He takes on the full ramifications of that covenant. If God, in a sense, what he's saying is, if I fail to do this, I will be like this slaughtered animal on the ground. Isn't that amazing? In Exodus, we see a story where God's promised people, these people of Abraham, They've, they've been promised they're going to be blessing to the entire earth. And what happens is they end up in a position of slavery. They end up in a place in Egypt where they had gone there originally to bring salvation to the Egyptians because there was a famine in the land. And God had made sure that there was going to be their survival as well as this nation, Egypt's survival. But after Joseph, the guy who kind of got this plan started, once he passed on, a new pharaoh was raised up, a new king, and he forgot all about that. In fact, it said he kind of pushed it out of his mind. And they began to enslave Israel so that Israel would be their servants, that would do the things that they wanted them to do. And in the midst of this, sorry, in the midst of this, 
what we see happening is that he, Pharaoh is an evil tyrant. He wants to show that he is a god among gods. In that land, in Egypt, there were many gods. And Pharaoh was, he would say about himself, I am the god of gods. And so God, the true God, makes some statements because he wants to get his people back. He wants to rescue them out of the pressure, the enslavement, the torture that they are under in that land. He has a dream to get his children, his family back. And it says here in Exodus 6, 6, there are some I wills that will come up on the screen here from this passage. I'm going to read the passage. The I will statements will come up. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgments. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Who is Lord? Pharaoh or God? God is. And he's going to prove it with great power. He's going to destroy every single God, idol, that has raised up a heel against his people. He won't just take out one or two, every single one, including the Lord of Lords, the God of gods, Pharaoh. He will completely take them out. So we see things like the Nile turns to blood. Well, the Nile was this life-giving thing, and in it was the frogs. The frogs came and invaded the land. Why is that? Well, because basically they thought the, the frogs were like the creators of life. <sighs> Weird, okay? And so they thought that, and so God, he said, you want frogs? Fine, I'll give you plenty of frogs, All right. I mean, he just flooded the land. I mean, each and everything, God is demonstrating his power over these gods till finally it comes to Pharaoh himself. Finally, he gets to this place where he is going to take out Pharaoh. And the way he does it is he says, the firstborn of all of Egypt are going to die. Why is that? Well, if you remember the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh said about God's people, the firstborn of all Israel is going to die. And he started destroying, calculatedly destroying the people of Israel by taking out the sons, the future that they would have. And God said, I'm going to take your knees out, Pharaoh. I'm going to take your son in the same way. God would crush the oppressor and he would release his people. The Hebrews weren't just slaves in Egypt, though. They actually were idolaters in Egypt. You may not realize that. When we think about this story, we think, well, hey, Israel, they're the good guys, right? Everybody think, yeah, Israel, good guys, Egypt, bad guys. No, actually, when we start looking at it, we realize that they're enslaved to these gods as their worshipers, just as the Egyptians were. How do we know that? Well, if we read further on into the Old Testament scriptures, we start seeing things like they carried gods out of Egypt and worshiped them. One of the Old Testament prophets actually uses very graphic. Uh, language to describe the way that they had sinned by their worshiping of these false gods and false idols. So why does God make a distinction? Why does he say, I'm going to destroy Egypt and Pharaoh, but I'm going to rescue Israel? It's because of covenantal love. He has made a promise that these people, he has said to the detriment of my own life, I will keep 
my promises to you. The redemption had a price. It was the firstborn son. But God would not take Israel's firstborn son. What he would do is he would provide a sacrifice. He would provide a substitution for the firstborn son of Israel. It's an amazing story. It's called the Passover. And and, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, what the people of Israel did is they took a lamb, a perfect lamb. It didn't have any blemishes. It didn't have any broken bones. It didn't have any sores. It had to be perfect. They brought it into their house. It lived with them for a while. And then they had to sacrifice that lamb. They cut its throat. They killed it. Then they cooked it and ate it. That's the way. I'm wonderful. I'm a meat eater. I love that. And so he does that. But God says, what you do with this blood is this. You take it in a paintbrush and you brush it on the sides of the doors and over the top of the door. And this actually will save you from the wrath that's to come. This will save you. It won't save the Egyptians. They're not going to get this provision. You have a provision. Your firstborn son is, uh, is ransomed by the shed blood of this lamb. Substitutionary atonement. But you will be rescued simply by painting this blood over your door. Now, can you imagine that night when they hear the screams, and the Bible describes it, they, the people of Egypt screamed out from terror because of the loss of their children. But the people of Israel were in their houses. Now, some of them may have been very confident and secure just eating the Passover meal and enjoying their time. Others may have been checking on their kids in bed every single moment, afraid, you know, just worried about, well, is this going to work? You know, open the door, look out, I hope that works. The thing is, the blood wasn't there for the Israelites to see. Who was it to be seen by? God. God was the one to see it. It doesn't matter what their confidence level was. All they had to do was apply the blood. Then they were saved. It wasn't for them to see. It wasn't for them to worry about whether or not they had, you know, is it going to work or not? I mean, God said, no, if I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's an amazing story of God's deliverance. We fast forward a few thousand years and we read Matthew 26, verse 26. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. As we look at this story in Matthew 26 with Jesus, what we see is something is missing. In the original Passover, there was a lamb. In this Passover, where's the lamb? There's bread, there's drink. Where's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. He's the one who his body is going to be broken. He's the one whose blood is going to be spilled for the sins. So the substitutionary atonement of the people that he's with there. God is getting his family back. He took the death that we deserved so that we could live the life that he deserved. Our lives are not 
about trying to please God somehow. I think through the singing that we did, we realized that it's not about us trying to somehow rescue or ransom ourselves. God has provided our ransom. He's provided our rescue to get his family back. 1 Peter 1.18 says it this way, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. I just want to stop there for a second, for you know. Do you know that? Do you know that this is what God has done for you to get you back into his family? He has paid a ransom from you. You may be here today and you may feel like the people of Israel, they, they felt pressed down. They felt like they were victims. They felt like they had no hope. In fact, the message, the good news of God saying, I will deliver you, actually, they couldn't even hear it because they were so pressed down by life. They were so squashed by life. It was like good news wasn't good news to them. They didn't even know how to respond to it. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're so pressed in and pressed down upon by life that like, you wonder, how can I even hear this good news? This doesn't make any sense to me at all. What you need to know is this, that God provided a sacrifice for you in His Son, It says, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. The currency of this earth will not save you. There's no way you can be saved through it. But it was through the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And he has now revealed him to you in these last days. God has a big dream. It is to bring back, to restore His people to Himself. All of humanity, man, woman, child, old man, young woman, young man, old woman, it doesn't matter. He wants to rescue. He wants to save. He has made a way. It is His will and His desire for this to happen. I remember as a kid, uh, I was like eight years old when I first confessed Christ as my Savior. And, and, and I remember for about the next um, 10, 12, 13 years, till I was about 21 years old, I worried so much. Did I do the right thing? Did I pray the right prayer? Was I sorry enough for my sin? Do I really believe strongly enough? Think about the Israelites again in their houses. Maybe they were afraid, but they had, they had applied the blood, and that's all that it took. Let me ask you a question. Have you applied the blood of Jesus to your life? How how do you do that? That sounds so odd. Well, actually, it's very simple. It's simply believing that Jesus is your sacrificial lamb and accepting, receiving that and saying, Jesus, I want your sacrifice to be my sacrifice for my sin. The Bible uses words like repent, like turn away from your selfishness and sinfulness and back to God. Repent, be baptized. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's very simple. It's almost, it's so simple, people can trip right over it. It's so easy to just trip and say, oh, I need to do more. No, no, you need to believe. You need to put confidence and faith in the blood of Jesus that was spilt for you. Hebrews 9.12 says this. It says, with Jesus' own blood, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered to the most holy place once for all time, and secured our redemption forever. One time, for all time, forever. That's the sacrifice of Jesus, what it does for us. We can have such confidence and security in knowing this. It was His 
sacrifice that brings us back into his family. He secured our salvation forever. Now, this is God's big dream. He wants to have us back. He wants you and me to be part of his family. He wants people in Washington and Franklin County to be part of his family. He wants people across this globe to be part of his family. And he has demonstrated it by I will accomplish this. Now, every dream has to be communicated in order for it to be effective. You understand that, right? If dreams aren't communicated, then they, they, they're meaningless. They're just like things on a napkin that nobody ever reads. They get thrown in the trash can, right? We understand that. If Martin Luther King Jr. hadn't given his I dream, I have a dream speech, then there would be no civil rights movement to speak of today. I mean, that wouldn't have ever happened. If there had never been a 95 Theses nailed to the door at, at Wittenberg, then there would be no Reformation. If Gates and Jobs had not communicated their dream, then the United States Postal Service would still be making money. <laughs> Paul says that he is heralding a dream. He's telling God's big dream. That's what he's about. What are you about? Whose dream are you telling? Whose dream are you living out? Is it, is it your dream? Well, your dream may last a few decades. It might last a hundred years. I don't know. But it will not be eternal. The big dream that God has is an eternal dream. It's a dream that never fades away. It's a dream that continues on, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And we're to put our dream within the dream of, of, G, of God. To understand that our dream has to be submitted to what His big dream is. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says this way. It says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. See, that's what our role is. We actually not, are, are not just becoming part of God's big dream by coming into His family, but He says, hey guys, spread the word. Let other people know of this great salvation that I have accomplished for you at the cross. That is our great privilege to be part of the family and to be in the family business. Every one of us, no matter what our other dreams might be, no matter what our work might be, what our relationships might be, we have the opportunity to actually do what Jesus did, to be sharing the good news that is bringing people back to God so that God's dream for all time, all people coming back into His family. I'm sure your dreams are good, but I'm sure that you dreamed a lot of good stuff. But are you willing to submit your dreams to God? And say, God, my dreams are inconsequential. Your dreams are what are consequence forever and ever. Are you willing to do that? I know that's a big step. Can I trust God's dream is going to be fulfilled? Can I trust that it's actually a worthy dream? I mean, it's a huge dream, guys. Is it worthy for me to give my attention to? Well, let's, let's look. Revelation 7, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too big to count, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Does God's dream come true? Absolutely. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language group, all singing and shouting the worship of Jesus, their, their, our Savior. This is a humongo dream, and we even get to see that it will ultimately be fulfilled. 
Isn't that amazing? How do we apply ourselves to it? How do we give ourselves to this great big dream? I just want to bring up a few things here, five things really that we can do as a people, as a church. You can do individually. But see, the thing is, God's dream is to, is for, to get his family back. Our dream is within that to connect people to Jesus. Why? So that their lives can be transformed. We say that all the time, but sometimes we don't know, okay, connecting people to Jesus. How do we do that? Here's some things you can do. First of all, I'm just going to use this acronym, BLESS, all right? Connect to people in this way, to Jesus in this way. Be in prayer. The way we see it, say it around here is, look, be in prayer for two or three people who are not part of God's big family yet, not part of his big dream yet. Would you just pray for them? That's a great way to bless people, simply to say, I'm going to pray for you that you will know what, Jesus, what God said he wants us to know, that we'll know the truth and we'll know the salvation that he's provided through Jesus. We can also listen. I don't, we've said this a lot of times. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And so it's good for us to listen to that story, to be respectful and just say, hey, tell me your story. What's going on with your life right now? How'd you get to where you are today? Everybody has a wonderful story, and we need to listen to it. Another way we can do it is simply to eat. Yes, right? We all get a chance to eat. 21 opportunities a week we have to actually sit down with someone and bless them. Someone maybe who's far from Jesus, someone who's not part of the family yet. We can sit down with them and just have a meal together. When we eat together, it's like, Heaven opens up sometimes. I mean, we're just able to have conversations that you can't have any other time. We can bless people by eating with them. We can bless people by serving them. There are lots of ways that we can serve people. Last night, we served people by simply taking a meal uh, and, and being part of Harvest Table. But that, and then we did that all together. We did that as a church. Some of you may do that individually simply to serve. You find out about a need in someone's life, and you simply take the opportunity to meet that need. Maybe they need a meal. I know sometimes people have family members die, and so what we'll do to serve them is we'll take them a meal. That's a great way to serve people. Maybe their kids need, need rides. They've got a broken down car, so you can give them rides to work or rides to school. There's lots of ways that we can serve people. And then finally, we share with them. We share with them this good news, this news that's transformed our lives. The fact that we've been connected to Jesus by what he's done for us, we, our lives are being transformed, is a great thing to share with people, to let them know, hey, this is what God has done for me. We want to be a part of God's big dream. We want to be a part of that. Washington needs us to be a part of this, to bless people, not trying to convince people, not trying to connive people, but trying to bless them. The promise to Abraham and to his seed was this, you will bless all the nations of the earth. That's why we're here, guys. We're here to bless this community. We're here to bless Franklin County. We're here to, to pray for people to listen to them, to have meals together, to share with them, to serve them. This is a way that you can latch hold of God's big dream. If you wouldn't mind, take your communication card. Uh, there's not a lot written on it today. Okay, We're going to take a, a moment here. We're going to uh, maybe put a few things down that we feel like God is calling us to today.